Round one. All right, so you guys can now just forget everything Lynn just said because that was, you know, quite embellished. But um, I did get the AV working about 36 seconds ago. So you guys, you know, just bear with me here. I was going to do an introduction, but we're like running close to our schedule. Ajax, where you at? That's my cell phone. Okay. You guys heard it, right? You guys heard it. Turn to Genesis 1. All right, so. Um, of course, as I say that, my AV stops working. <laughs> All right, so uh, John and Brittany Sherwood, you guys, um, some of you guys know us, some of you guys don't. We actually uh, used to be on staff here at North River. We're in Columbia, South Carolina now. And uh, we are uh, just recently now focused exclusively on the singles ministry. So we're grateful. We have some Columbia singles in the house over here. All right. Uh, we are really grateful to be here with you guys. Uh, super grateful to our North River uh, family and leadership here. Um, you know, we we really cut our teeth in the ministry here, and uh, yeah. it's a very special place to us. Yeah. If I look at Jeff Hickman too much, I'll probably start crying. Aww. So, um, <laughs> um, Lynn wanted to make sure that everyone knew that this was not the North River show. And North River doesn't have all the answers. That's right. And so I said, well, Columbia does, so we'll step into that guy. You guys have some major internet connection issues in here, huh? Really? Yeah. Um, so that being said, that Columbia has all the answers, I wanted to you know, make a joke of that because we, we clearly do not have all the answers. Right. We speak from a place of humility. At least we really try. And, um, and you know, the things that we're going to be talking about today, we're going to be talking about some principles and a lot of practicals about singles ministry. And so some of this comes from our experience. Some of this comes from the Word of God. Some of this comes just from good ideas that we still have yet to really implement well. Right. So uh, you guys use it as you can. Take it for what it's worth. If it applies, great. If not, amen. Leave the uh, bones. Eat the meat type thing. Got it? Yeah. All right. So I wanted to show you guys some of our ministry. Uh, this is We've got about 100 singles in the Columbia Church. Wow. Um, this is a picture from a couple of years ago, actually. Um, the singles ministry is kind of in a reboot phase. Um, we're the first couple actually on staff to be exclusively working with the singles ministry. Um, I believe ever in the history of the Columbia Church to be the staff people um, only with singles, which is really great. Yeah. You know, it's a, it's a sign, I think, of the church as a whole and the leadership that we really believe in singles ministry. Yeah. We really want to invest there. Uh, Britt and I, I'll share more about this, but Britt and I come from a singles background. We were married. I was in my 30s and she was in her late 20s. We had been in the ministry as single people for years. Um, so if I could ask a favor, I'm just going to ask you guys to hold on one second. Where's my AV guy? Where'd he go? I'm fine. No, no, don't worry about it. Yeah, Are you want me to turn on it. a hotspot for internet or something? Yeah, it's okay. You guys just give me one second. I really apologize here. Oh, it's or pray for the AV. Yeah. <laughs> That's coming back. All right. What's going to happen is uh, you guys are just going to be able to see one screen right here in the middle. So hopefully you can see it. If you can't and you want to, go ahead and reposition yourself now. That would be fantastic. Wow, problem solver. Way to go. All right. Back in the day. Yeah. So I do apologize here. You know, we're in the modern world, and without internet, our lives crumble. <laughs> Everybody see this okay? 
Yeah. All right. You can always be like Ron Swanson and really get off the grid, right? Yeah. All right. Um, here's some more pictures of our singles. We actually have a standing reoccurring lunch every Sunday after church for our singles ministry. And so this, these are some shots from our lunches. And uh, we really like food a lot. Okay. And uh, we, like Jesus, build our ministry around food. And so um, you can see here, this is from one of our cookouts. And uh, these are actually two of our youngest Christians baptized in the singles ministry recently. McWayne up top and Maurice down here at the bottom. Turn over to Nehemiah, if you would. How many of you guys have read the book of Nehemiah? Mm -hmm. All right. Amen. That's awesome. Nehemiah chapter 1. There are some great leadership principles yeah. in the book of Nehemiah. Um, really throughout all the Bible, of course, but Nehemiah especially. And I want to apologize in advance to some of the Columbia folks that are here. You guys have heard some of this before and some of these principles, but that's okay because the Word of God endures. Amen. You know, there's a lot of people from various places here today um, representing a lot of different ministry scenarios, and uh, obviously we have a very diverse personal background in a group this big. Um, so the principles and the practicals that we're going to talk about today, um, I really want to focus in on two ministry scenarios. One is building, rebuilding a singles ministry, and the other one, like one that's pre-existing, and then the other is building one from scratch. How many of you guys find yourself in a leadership position in a ministry that's starting from scratch or helping to rebuild or reboot an existing ministry? Cool. That's what the Holy Spirit wanted you to know. <laughs> so the, princip the principles and the practicals we're going to talk about today, I think, are most applicable to those two scenarios. Um, if you're not in one of those scenarios, then, you know, try not to go to your after lunch nap and uh, just, you know, try to just paste your eyes open or whatever so I don't get my feelings hurt. All right, Nehemiah chapter 1. Read with me in verse 3. They said to me, those who survived the exile are back in the province and are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates have been burned with fire. When I heard these things, Nehemiah says, I sat down and I wept. For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. One of the things that I've been talking to uh, our singles about recently is real change always starts with brokenness. Yeah. Contrition. Psalm 51, David writes. Anybody remember what it was that the Lord would not despise? What was it? Broken and contrite. That's right. A broken and contrite spirit. Real change, real repentance always starts there, both individually and collectively. You've experienced it, right? All of us became Christians from that place. There's no way to come to God without brokenness. And as we're leading, we have to remember that no real change, no lasting change will happen in our lives or in the lives of our ministry without brokenness, without contrition, without sincere repentance. Perhaps you feel like Nehemiah. As he looked out upon the state of Jerusalem, or rather at this point in the story, he had heard about those looking out at the state of Jerusalem. Perhaps you might feel that way about your ministry or your family group or your church. You feel as though the walls have been broken down. The former glory has gone by. But do we also weep as Nehemiah did? Do we feel a sense of ownership and brokenness about 
the state of affairs. Now, maybe you're in a situation where you're like at Solomon's temple and the Israelite nation has never been doing better. And amen. I'm not talking to you guys right now, okay? You guys continue to glory in the Lord and praise Him for what He's doing. But right. for those who find themselves either personally or even ministerially in a place where you feel like, man, the walls are broken down. What are some ways that you think would identify the walls being broken down in your ministry? We probably know how to identify that in our personal lives, right? Mm -hmm. What are some ways you identify that in your personal life? This is an interactive leadership work weekend, right? <laughs> Go ahead. Yes, ma'am. When people leave us or have a reason to not like us. Okay. Okay. So when people leave, have a reason not to like us. Ajax, you had your hand? Yeah. When uh, convictions start to wax and wane. Okay. Yes, ma'am. Lack of interest and cure for people that are in our groups. Okay. Lack of care or interest. Yes. Stop reading your Bible consistently. Stop reading your Bible consistently. Lack of communication. Lack of communication. Okay, so lack of confession. What else? Anything else? Yes, sir. Inward focus and focus on the here and now rather than eternity. Okay. Yes, sir. Did you guys hear that? The walls are breaking down when there is consistent sin in our lives. That is one of the most obvious and readily apparent ways for us to recognize we need help rebuilding these spiritual walls around our hearts, right. our minds. And this is the mission for which Jesus came to earth, was it not? Right. To help us to be reconciled back to God and freed from sin. But even collectively as a group, these things can happen. Collectively, we can start to, as a majority of the group, experience this continual sin, embitteredness, envy, Slander, gossip, impurity, just a lack, a lackadaisicalness in our spiritual lives in general. Read with me in chapter 1 in Nehemiah. Let's see. In verse 4. He says, when I heard these things, I sat down and wept, and for days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. One of the things that we did there in Columbia, as we talked about really rebuilding the walls around our hearts, our lives individually and collectively as a ministry, we talked about starting, as Nehemiah did, with brokenness, contrition, and with repentance. This is what we did uh, that night. We had everybody break up into small groups, in, into their small groups, and confess to one another. Confess the sins, as you guys are familiar that have read this. Nehemiah goes on to confess his sins and the sins of his forefathers before the Lord. Before he decided to embark upon rebuilding Jerusalem. He wanted to start from a clean slate. He wanted God and his forgiveness before he went back to endeavor on the spiritual mission right and we had everybody confess and they wrote down one word of something that they were going to be repentant in and then we collectively as a ministry wrote it on this board and obviously then we took a handy dandy picture of it <laughs> and we said these are the things that we're praying about fasting about repenting of as we're going to set out to rebuild our walls Amen. we'll continue to read in Nehemiah 
In chapter 2, verse 11, I went to Jerusalem, and after staying there three days, of course you guys know, just to continue to fill in the story here in case you're not familiar with Nehemiah, he goes to the king, he's, he's a, he's a cupbearer, he's, a, he's a, a, a worker in a pagan king's court, and the pagan king gives him the blessing to go back to Jerusalem to serve his God. And then he's back in Jerusalem, and he says, I went there, and after staying three days, I set out during the night with a few others. I had not told anyone what my God had put in my heart to do for Jerusalem, and there were no mounts with me except the one I was riding on. By night, I went out through the valley gate toward the jackal well and the dung gate, examining the walls of Jerusalem, which had been broken down, and its gates, which had been destroyed by fire. Then I moved on. I went through this area, that area. I inspected the gate. Verse 16, the officials did not know where I had gone or what I was doing because as yet I had said nothing to the Jews or the priests or nobles or officials or any others who would be doing the work. Before Nehemiah goes to set out to rebuild, what does he do? He inspects the wall, right? Why do you think he did that? Let's have some interaction. Why do you think he inspected the wall? Most of you guys know the end of the story and how it ends. And Why would at this point right. would he go in isolation by himself to inspect the wall? I think you need to know what are, what are the conditions or what are the what is the situation before you can actually know what you're going to do. Okay. Right. Mm-hmm. Anything else? What else? Yes, sir? Uh, I think he did it mostly because he wanted to know why they failed. Okay. 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 Yes, ma'am. Um, I think he also did it without asking the people who actually live there to help him because he didn't want to have an influence of theirs. Okay. Like someone's mm-hmm. going to say, "Well, this is the worst part of the law because they live there." Okay. And so he wanted to see the whole thing on his own from an outside point of view, so that. Right. So he wanted an unbiased opinion, right? What else? Yes, ma'am. Um, I think he went to see what he was going to need. Okay. What he was going to need. Okay. Yes. Yeah, I think kind of piggybacking off of what she said, like maybe some parts of the wall were worse than others or better than others, and seeing, okay, well, what is it that makes this part so bad as mm-hmm. compared to other parts and mm-hmm. things like that? To get a vision for the future, you kind of need a reality check. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you have to embrace where you're at so that you can get the vision and then you can Right. right. You guys have all heard the phrase, you don't know where you're going unless you know where you've been, right? right. Mm-hmm. How many of us in leadership, in whatever role we lead in or want to lead in, how many times can we have this idea and this vision and this plan and this direction that we want to implement under said people that we lead without really thoroughly inspecting and knowing what is the lay of the land? What gate is broken down? What part of wall is in more right. disarray than another? Yeah. Every one of us represents this spiritual family right. that the New Testament talks about, that we all, like sinews and ligaments, grow in each other to build one another up in the Lord. Right. Every single person has a story. Every single person has their gates that are burned more than others. Mm-hmm. There are parts of the wall that are burned more than others. And in leadership, we would be wise, as Nehemiah was, to really inspect, to learn where people are at and what they need before charging ahead to, as it said, do the work. Nehemiah knew these nobles, these officials, these people that are here, they're going to do the work. 
Nehemiah is not going to build the wall all by himself. He knows they're going to do the work. But before he charges the task of doing the work, he inspects thoroughly. Get input. Talk to people in your family group or your ministry. Figure out what's the condition of the one another relationships in the ministry. Do people have healthy brother and sister opposite sex relationships? Or are they unhealthy? Are there weird dynamics involved? Is there bitterness from past hurts that maybe you had nothing to do with or maybe you caused them? It's foolish to run ahead and try to build right. without making sure that these things are taken care of. Right. Yeah. Is the group spiritually old in age, but immature? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. All of these things affect how well we're going to do the work, right? right. right. Mm -hmm. In order to get people invested in rebuilding our walls, we've got to allow them to express their heart, to talk about what's meaningful to them. For those of you that have read Nehemiah, you're familiar that those who did the work, they did it together, and they did it as families. And a lot of people think that they did it in order that the rest of Jerusalem inside the wall could be built up. So they're personally invested. If I don't build this part of the wall well, my house inside the wall will not be protected. Nor my son's home, which is next to me, or et cetera, et cetera. And so we've got to allow people to feel invested in rebuilding with us. And my wife wants to share about some practicals on how we can help people get invested in rebuilding. You know, I, I love Nehemiah for so many reasons and everything, but just even this starting off before we get into the practicals on how to help people invest, understanding, going back to really assessing the condition of the relationships because nobody can sustain change alone. Yeah. Like right. you can't start something and like even that you're passionate about and go at it alone for a long time. That's right. You need somebody by your side. Yeah. You need somebody dreaming with you, persevering with you, praying with you. Yeah. And so I think especially as women, I think this is one of this is one of the gifts that God has given us, the the um, just the desire and the the passion of relationship. Yeah. But what's so interesting and what I've found in my own life and in just as I've been assessing the wall is that there's a Satan has had a plan for our relationships as well. Mm -hmm. As much as God has had a plan, Satan has had yeah. too. Yeah. And what I've seen is along with this kind of inward focus, we've kind of turned on each other. Mm. And not loudly. It's been very quietly as women. Like we start to harbor attitudes. And it comes out in an attitude. And, and how we say things, how we treat each other, how we not, and we're gonna talk about it later, but how we won't necessarily follow through with dealing with a situation. And so it just kind of stays. <laughs> and we still, and what that ends up happening is it continues to isolate us and make us more insecure, more self-focused. And, and then we've, we've gotten into this really bad place relationally. And then we don't feel connected to our small group. We don't feel like we wanna to go to an event that somebody else is putting on. We don't feel, we're so driven by our feelings instead of what God's called us to do. And so, and one of the things that, you know, years ago I heard this and I love this, but I think women, as women, we could be a fragrance or a stench when we walk mm. into a room. You know, if a guy's having a bad day, and this is like a general statement, okay? But if a guy is, ha is having a, a bad day, he walks in a room, people are like, oh, I'm sorry, you know. But if a girl walks into a room with a bad attitude, you feel it. Everybody all of a sudden starts to feel like they're walking on eggshells. And they're like, oh my gosh, what's going on with her? What's, you know, and the whole mood and the whole purpose of the group changes. 
And then God help us if a visitor is there. Because then the visitor is like, is she all right? Like, does somebody need to? <laughs> and so now they're focused on the sister having a bad day. And I'm not saying we have our bad days, right? We, and we need to be vulnerable about those things. But there's a difference between being vulnerable and being attitudinal. Yeah. Does that make sense? And so you can be vulnerable. And that vulnerability about your bad day and the way you're, you're like wrestling with God through it, like what Kasha shared on Friday night, you're wrestling with God, that can impact somebody positively and give them hope for a relationship and give them hope that they can have amazing relationships with God. But if you come in attitudinal and you're not even trying to deal with it and you're not trying to be vulnerable and you're not trying to engage relationally, it will slow down the movement of your group. And it will affect everyone. And what's so encouraging about that is that isn't that an amazing purpose that we have as women that we can come into a group and completely build it up. We don't even have to say anything. We can come in with our attitude and our mindset and we can completely make it a place where people are thirsting and are desiring to want to know more and know God, you know? And so I think that that point about assessing the, like, the condition of our relationships is really important to take time to do that and not just skip over it and say, oh, that person has seemed kind of on the, on the fringe for a while, but we'll just keep on going. No, <laughs> figure out why that person's on the fringe. Figure out what's going on in the heart and the mind. What's their history? You know, we, we have this phrase too, history matters. Mm. Like where somebody has been will affect where they are today. And we don't need to live in the past. Paul encourages, right, to go forward. But we need to know our past so we can understand the snares of how Satan wants to get us. And so I think even in that practical of just like really sitting and listening, being quick to listen and slow to speak, as James 1 says, listening to people's stories, understanding why they are why they are the way they are and why they're here and what got them here is really important. And then just having passion and conviction that we're going to create a relational culture that, that, um, that reflects God's heart and God's desire for our relationships, not what we've experienced, not what we even want, but what does God really want for our relationships? And, and that really can start off, that can help that wall start to be built on rock instead of sand, right? It will last. Um, some of the practicals of just engaging people from your ministry or in your small group into the ministry more is figuring out when you're talking to them, their passions. You know, I know we have some single moms in here, right? Do we have some single moms? Um, I have a nine month old. I'm not a single mom, but I am a mother. <laughs> and one of the things that, um, I want to encourage you guys, because one of the things this past summer, it's been our second summer doing it, but we've started this group <laughs> called Pray and Play, yeah. and it's a Facebook group, and, um, and what we do is we meet, we have an activity every week, and it's a fun activity, and we, um, I know, right on cue, a baby crying, it's perfect, um, but what we do is we come together, we read one, one scripture, give one practical, and pray together, and then our kids play together, so we pray and play. And let me tell you, one of the events this summer, we had um, a, one of the women is head over HR of our airport, which is kind of cool, you know, and stuff in Columbia. But she had, she said, hey, I will take the kids on a tour of the airport, you know? And so what we, we put it out there and we had, we had to turn people away. We had 22 women visitors, 40 children. <laughs> but it was unbelievable. And there's, I think, six women studying the Bible out of that time. And so for the single moms, like thinking about, okay, how can I integrate 
my kids and what my kids want to do with 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 um, ministry and how can I build a little ministry this pray and play ministry it's become a ministry now yeah. you know and and that's just that was started by a teacher a woman who had a daughter who wanted to do fun things around the city right. <laughs> it wasn't a ministry person it was somebody who just wanted to do something with her child and be spiritual right. <laughs> um, I think one other thing real quick um, that you know that some of our singles just started the guys actually started it they call it brothers keeper and it's where they gather all the men and they do this brunch uh, they do a brunch in a time just to focus on meeting the needs of the men um, in the singles ministry but it, it, it creates like camaraderie and brotherhood and so the sisters got together and the girls were like we want to do something like that so now we're going to start a sisters keeper brunch Ooh. and so and it's, it's a it's a great tool just for um non-ministry people to set it up to like to create the brunch and then create the content. What direction do we want to go? Some of the women we've been talking about doing this mind, body, and soul, where we do a, like a Zumba class and and do like a little Bible talk with it to get our friends out. But so many people are excited about those things because that's things they like to do in their normal day life. Right, like that's right. things they would already be doing, but they're deciding to engage it and give it to God first, um, which is is awesome. And so, and one other thing, you know, we had this whole transition with campus into singles, right? And so campus ministry is incredibly active. <laughs> like they're doing stuff all the time. And then they come into singles and they're like, oh my gosh, it's like nine hours of work a day. They're trying to figure out how to like find their place now in this ministry of the fast lane, right? And so there's this one girl, she loves baking. <laughs> she loves baking. And so she was feeling really like she was having a hard time transitioning into singles. And but she was showing up to everything. I was like, bake something. Bake something. And so every time people are excited to see what Brianna's gonna bring to devotional because she's an incredible baker. And and that has helped her. And it seems like something like not that big of a deal but she feels a part of it. Yeah. She feels like I have ownership. This is my ministry. And I have something something to give that I feel passionate about, but that also encourages other people. So those are just a couple of things. Awesome. Amen. Awesome. awesome. All right, so helping people to figure out, you know, their part of the wall to build in your group, in your ministry, whatever the application is, a couple of things that I wanted to talk about, some specific practicals of how we can commit ourselves to a few things that I think will help the overall, the overall building of the wall. One is very obvious, but I was talking, um, I think actually to Lynn or someone earlier, you know, blocking and tackling in football is kind of an important thing, right? Football is a consistent theme. You guys all went to the College Hall of Fame. Blocking and tackling in Christianity is important. You can never get away from the basics. That's right. And I think the longer we're in the Lord and the longer we're in ministry and leadership, I think the more like creative we try to be and we try to create more flea flicker plays <laughs> and like they all backfire on us. You know, it's like, no, just block well, run the ball up the middle, right. you'll score. You know, stay close to God. Yes. Commitment to your personal walk with God. Right. A personal relationship with Jesus. Daily reading and prayer. How many of you guys have been Christians in here three years or less? Yay. Amen. Let's give it up for our younger Christians. How many of you guys have been Christians longer than ten years? Come on. All right. Everybody look around. This should actually communicate something to us. It should communicate something to us. 
We have a lot of mature Christians and less and less younger Christians. Okay? That's a dangerous place to be. Now, we know that the scriptures are very clear. God makes it grow. But we must plant and water. And we must do that diligently and continue to get better at that. Okay? Now, reading your Bible, praying every day, having quiet times, it sounds so simple, but it is really amazing how easy it is for us to get away from those things. And slowly but surely, one slow ebbing step at a time we get really far from the basics of blocking and tackling our relationship with God we can't move forward as leaders without a commitment to blocking and tackling to consistent prayer I just got with a a brother a few weeks ago a mentor of mine and you know I had all these things that I wanted to talk to him about and all these questions I wanted to ask get all this ministry advice and help and you know what you want to know what he talked to me about 1 Thessalonians 3.10. How many of you guys know that here? What does it say, Ajax? Night, day, pretty Everybody hear him? No. Stand up and, and say what 1 Thessalonians 3.10 says, brother. This is a great passage for all of you to memorize. I'm going to challenge you to memorize this scripture. 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 10. Night and day, I pray that I may see you again and supply what is lacking in you. And then IV, it says, night and day, I pray for you most earnestly that I may see you or that I may be with you and supply what is lacking in your faith. Paul prayed for the Christians in Thessalonica night and day in a fashion that was earnest. And his prayer consisted of two things, that he would be able to actually be with them and that he would be able to supply something that was lacking in their faith. As leaders, I think this is a great example to follow. Memorize 1 Thessalonians 3.10 and then practice it pray night and day pray every day for the people that you lead and this brother that I went to go get all these flea flicker plays from he said are you praying for the people that you lead every day and I said I've not been doing well with that and I went back and these guys will attest and I said I'm committing myself I'm recommitting myself to praying for you every day and so I got a prayer list and went old school and said what can I pray for you about And, and I'm, I'm chugging along. I'm trying to continue to do that, blocking and tackling. Yeah. We can't lead without a genuine, heartfelt investment in the people that we lead. This is what Paul exemplified. Does anybody know the phrase, a people of the book? Anybody know where that comes from? Anybody from a Muslim background in here? I was married to a Muslim, and we talk about that. Yep. Mm-hmm. Where does it come from? Um, well, in the Quran, they are able. In our case, we were talking about how, in the, uh, as a Muslim, he could marry a person of the book. That's right. And then convert them to um, Islam. To Islam. Yeah. In the Quran, Jews and Christians are referred to in the Quran as people of the book. What book do you think it's referring to? It's not the Quran. It's the Bible. There's the Old and New Testament. Christians by Muslims historically have been known as a people of the book. I think this is a great reminder for us as Christians. We can't become so fancy and so prolific and stylish that we stop being a people of the book. Everyone who raised your hand that you've been a Christian three years or less, can you raise it again? I like to put people on the spot, don't take it offensively. How many of you guys in the Lord three years have read the entire Bible? 
Raise your hand if you have read the entire Bible. Take a look around again, please. This is vital, people. Right. We must be a people of the book. A room of leaders from all over, about half of us have read the entire Bible. And only about 10 or 15 of us have been Christians younger than three years. We've got to take a hard look at why are we not devoting ourselves to the scriptures more than we are. There's a reason for that, and there are many. And it's going to vary from person to person. And I don't say this to come down on you or to say, hey, this you guys are doing terrible. I just want to be someone who helps peel the scales from our eyes to see the game as it really is. Right. It's not about playing church. It's not about what title or position you have. It is are we truly from the depths of our being devoted to God. Yes. Now, I won't offer too many reasons on why I think we hesitate to really dive into the scriptures. It could be character deficiencies, discipline. It could be that we're, we struggle to make sense of the scriptures and it's hard to find them engaging. It could be a lot of different reasons. But again, going back to the very beginning of when I started talking, real change only happens from brokenness we have to find a place where we're really broken about God's word and respecting it and revering it and going after it in a way that shows our commitment to him if we really believe that the Bible is really from God then we should really have lives that reflect that Amen. so I want to talk about one other thing integrity these are all principles, right? Some principles and practicals about rebuilding the walls of our lives spiritually and our ministries, family groups, whatever context you find yourself in. <laughs> Anybody that's been with me in my leadership, you'll know this is one thing that I really do hammer on a lot. Have integrity. Mm -hmm. yeah. Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5 says that we should not make oaths, right? right. Why did he tell us not to make oaths? Do not swear by the Lord or his altar, but instead let your what? Your yes be yes and your no be no. Why? For anything else comes from the evil one. His point there is that as a God-fearing man or woman, you should have integrity to the point where you don't need all of the fluff and frill to make it seem like you're telling the truth. You should just speak the truth. Now, we're all limited, right? We're not omniscient and all-powerful. So we can't fully guarantee some action in the future because we don't know the future, right? Mm -hmm. But we should, to the best ability that we can, to the degree of power that we have, follow through with what we say we're going to do. Yes. And it seems so simple, right? And many of you in here might think, oh, yeah, that's totally not a big deal. But, I mean, even to the smallest areas of our life, being on time, waking up when we plan to wake up, when we tell somebody that we're going to do something, actually doing it, or vice yeah. versa, when we say we're not going to do something, not doing it, and then being able to help instill those principles and godly characteristics in those that we lead. I think a lot of times, especially when we see it as kind of like a small sort of trite thing, like, oh, that brother's just sort of always late. It's like we let it slide. Mm -hmm. And that leads me to one other point that I want to make. A lot of times, I'm going to blow past this one real quick because I want to get to these two. 
Sharing your faith, I'll come back to that. Resolving conflict and speaking the truth. A lot of times we let things slide. Right. And there's, again, there's a lot of reasons for why we don't want to address some issue. It could be because we feel hypocritical, right? How can I help that brother when when I'm struggling with the same thing or vice versa? And you know what? That's a valid thing. But what's the right response? Hey, brother, you and me, together, let's try to change, okay? (laughs) Let's commit ourselves to repenting. Let's get help from other people. I'll never forget, years ago, me and this brother, we were talking, and we were both single at the time, and we were talking about our purity, and we were fighting to live pure, godly lives, and we were really struggling. And both of us together were struggling. And he said, man, how are we going to get through this? You struggling? I'm struggling. We just both struggling together. And he said, one of us going to have to get strong. I said, well, yeah, okay, that makes sense. And so we continue to fight. We continue to get help from others. But it's not okay to just say, well, I kind of don't really want to talk about that because that's me too. And then just let both of us stay stuck, right? Mm. And it does take a lot of courage to speak the truth. Some of us are more bold in personality and temperament than others. That's not the same as godly courage. Mm. Being outspoken and out of yourself is not the same as the spirit of power that Paul talks about to Timothy. God did not give us a spirit of what? Timidity. But a spirit of power. That's not personality. There's a strong difference there. So for us as leaders, right, as we're trying to help others, Oh, I keep forgetting there's only one screen here. Am I in the way? Okay. Resolving conflict. Yeah, just a little bit. (laughs) Resolving conflict and speaking the truth. They're difficult things to do. I have some scriptures uh, here for you to refer back to later. I won't read them now for the sake of time. But obviously, Matthew 18, Jesus talks about resolving conflict in a very specific way. And he says, deal with it person to person. And if there's one thing that I've seen destroy the fabric of a spiritual family quicker than anything else, it's Matthew 18 not being lived out. Just a week ago, I had a brother call me and tell me a scenario about how a sister had an issue with a brother, told her leader about it, who called this brother's leader. That leader then talked. I'm like, you've got to be kidding me. I said, did this girl talk to this man? No. That's the only thing that can happen here. That must happen first. Go back and study Matthew 18. If a brother or sister sins against you, go and point out their fault. If they hear you, you have won them over. If they do not, take two or three along that a witness may be established. If then they do not listen, take it before the church, etc., etc. We've got to deal with conflict the way that God teaches us to deal with it. And guess what? It's the harder way. It's the more challenging way. It challenges our humility. It challenges our pride. It challenges our relationships because, let's face it, outside the kingdom, none of us learned how to resolve conflict, right? The only thing we learned how to do was to backbite and to slander and gossip and have revenge towards one another. 
It's supposed to be different in the kingdom of God. Let's That's lead right. in that way. Talk to people directly. Can I say just one thing about that? You may certainly. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> See how she just resolved conflict? <laughs> I asked gently. Um, one thing, you know, I think this is another huge component of just building healthy relationships, right? Is result, how we resolve conflicts. I think for there are different people who have different strengths and weaknesses in this area. It does take more courage for some people than it does, you know, for other people. Some people it's a lot easier. I do think one of the things that has been very helpful for me in resolving conflict and even with um, two sisters I sat down with is just start with scripture. Yeah. <laughs> like two sisters were having trouble with each other and so they tried to work it out first. They did Matthew 18 but then they came to me and so we sat down and I opened 1 Corinthians 13. The most excellent way is love. And we walked through that scripture. Love, love is what? Patient, kind, it goes through it. And we started with one and said, okay, what are you not doing in this relationship? Okay, so she looked at it and she's like, I haven't been patient, I haven't been kind. Okay, what do you, and then, okay, what, do you, what are you not doing according to this passage in this relationship? I haven't been humble, I haven't protected. Okay, and then so we end in verse eight, it never fails. Do you believe that? Like, if you change these things in this passage, do you believe it will never fail you? And so, and what that does is it, it changes the conflict between making it just about us having a better friendship to really believing that their faith is powerful and effective. Yeah. And it will make lasting relationships. That's right. And it will change them. It will change them for that relationship and in relationships to come for the rest of their life. But what you're doing, you're helping them not go back to you to just fix the issue or the circumstance. Right. But you're helping them learn how to rely on the love of God right. and to believe that and to walk in that. Does that make sense? Amen. Amen. I know that I've been kind of flying through some of these notes um, just for the sake of time. It's got a late start. I can make sure that these get out to everybody that would like them um, just so you're not frantically writing. Um, one of the things that we've been talking to a lot of the leaders in our singles ministry about recently as we're kind of, you know, reconfiguring and regelling and, and kind of rebooting this thing is I've really outlined very clear boundaries on what we expect from them as family group leaders and yeah. what we don't expect. Yeah. What we don't expect is for them to be everybody in their group's problem fixer. Yeah. We said we want you guys to be examples, to set an example for the believers in life, love, faith, speech, and purity. That's your first and number one expectation. Be a great disciple, right? Do these things. Be close to God. Resolve conflict. I don't want you running around frantic or feeling overwhelmed or burdened because you got eight people losing their minds. You know what? The Holy Spirit's powerful enough for them. You can love, but you don't need to be everybody's personal counselor, okay? And I have seen too many leaders, myself included, get so bogged down and so burnt out from an unhealthy pressure, an ungodly responsibility, from wherever that comes from, internally, externally, both, where we feel responsible right. in an ungodly way for someone else's salvation. Well, if I don't get with them, they're going to fall away. You know what? Jesus walks with them. And so we've got to have a healthy perspective. Now, obviously, the pendulum can swing the other way, right. where we just don't care and are callous and like, hey, man, you better go pray about it. I don't care about you. But you guys understand what I'm saying, right? I think in general, we tend to lean on that side of the spectrum of being like, like kind of like helicopter parents for people's spiritual life. 
Let's not do that, right? Yes. Number one, it's not fun for us. And number two, it's not even effective, yeah. right? Yeah. right? It doesn't even work. Yeah. The last thing I wanted to bounce back up to on your slide is share your faith. Here's, here, again, everybody's in different places, your ministry, your family groups in different places. You guys might be sharing your faith and studying the Bible people and having a very mission-focused group or ministry. That's great. But a lot of times we find ourselves in situations where that's not the case or maybe it hasn't been the case for a long time and we kind of stop talking about it right mm -hmm. we kind of stop talking directly about like hey are we really sharing our faith are we really about the mission of right. God mm -hmm. and the whole paradigm of a family group of a small group of a Bible talk whatever you call it this man-made device right that's not in the scriptures the whole reason it exists is to be able to help one another, mature in the Lord, and bring others to the kingdom of God. Right. <clears throat> if that group, over long periods of time, doesn't help bring people to the kingdom of God, it gets weird mm -hmm. yeah. and funky right. yeah. and insular yeah. and catty mm. and demotivating right. and sad and nobody wants to go no more. Yeah. And it's like, wow, that's a hole. To dig yourself out of, right? Right. right? Being about the purpose of the mission of God, it helps so much with so many different areas of our lives, individually and collectively. You know, you see on here, no one gets a pass on this, right? Like, yeah. you know, well, I have the gift of evangelism, or I don't have the gift of evangelism. Okay, amen. You might not be great at it, but you don't get a pass at it. Right. Like, like I might not be great at purity, but I don't get a pass on that. I don't have the gift of purity. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry, God. <laughs> no, we've got to struggle. We've got to continue to wrestle yeah. and fight. Yeah. It's true. Luke 9, Romans 1. You guys are familiar with these passages. I want to tell you a story just as an example of this. You know, I, I was working with um, a D group of young single men leaders. And at the end of last year, uh, we'd been working together for a while. You know, most of the time I've been there, a couple years now. And I just said, you know, we, we just, this is going to be uncomfortable, but we got to do it. We just got to talk straightforwardly and simply about some things. And I went around, every single one of us, and I said, how many Bible studies have you been in this year? And I said, I don't care if you need to think about it, pray about it, have your little time in the corner with Jesus, but, like, we're going to actually, like, respond to these straightforward questions. And talk about squirming. That's uncomfortable, right? right? Except for like that one brother's like, oh yeah, I've been like nine, ten, thousand Bible studies, you know what I'm saying? This is like, joker, you know. I said, don't worry, we'll talk about humility next week. <laughs> Which is actually kind of what happened now that I think about it. But one brother, you know, one brother in particular, he got a little, you know, a little defensive. Well, actually, he got moderately defensive. Yeah, he did. And, you know, you start reaching and, well, I, you know, I this, I, well, you know, uh, uh, I said, bro, it's okay, bro. It's okay. We love each other here, but we're really trying to help each other, right? We can't just ignore this stuff. Yeah. Now, last year, how many Bible studies have you been in? Zero. And this is a young single man. I said, bro, listen, with all the love in my heart, I said, the fact that you're not alarmed that you haven't been in a Bible study for a year is crazy concerning to me. I said it is absolutely unacceptable. And he didn't take it well. 
at the time. He came back. We continued to talk later. He repented. He said, you're absolutely right. And those two brothers earlier you saw on the screen were converted in his family group. Amen. And I say that to say it could have been easy for me to be like, well, I'm sure his heart, you know, and right. well, it's been like this. And, and find a way yeah. to skirt the issue. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. To find a way to not on. press on that uncomfortable spot. Right. But that's where the growth happens right. for all of us, right? right? That's right. And that goes back to our basic concepts of discipling, of teaching and admonishing one another. Colossians 3, as you saw on the screen earlier, verse 16, letting the word of Christ dwell in us richly so that we can do these things with wisdom, right? right? Because I could have been like, you know, what the heck, bro? You're terrible. You're not even hardly a Christian. You call yourself a Christian. You know, I could have been like demeaning and broken his spirit, Mm -hmm. right? But instead, I wanted to build him up and say, bro, you can. I know you can, and I know you want to. But we've got to take a hard look at the facts. Yeah. We, we've not been doing it. So let's, let's continue to move forward. And I think God has really blessed that. And so yes. I'm really grateful for his attitude and humility to repent. But it wasn't easy. It wasn't easy. And you guys are probably thinking about, in your context, in your group or whatever, some of those issues that you've seen or kind of sniffed out that you haven't really addressed yet. Yeah. You haven't really asked that pressing question. I want you to really pray and think about that. And be willing to resolve these things in a biblical way. Anything else you want to share before we open up Q&A? Um, just one other thing, just about sharing, going back to the sharing your faith part. You know, I know we know we need to do that, but sometimes we, our faith becomes very compartmentalized. Like we, we're living, our, we're living, I'm living Brittany's life and my faith plays out in these areas. Instead of my identity is my faith, <laughs> I am a follower of Jesus, and so therefore that's the lens that affects every other area of my life. Does that make sense? And so with that, like one of the things when we came out of the ministry and we moved back to Atlanta, it was a really challenging time. It was just very, um, I was just very blind. I guess is the best. Is like, okay, what's going on? How do I resolve this? You know, how do I, how do I break this down? And a lot of times transitions bring that out. Right? It's like. What do I do? And a lot of times transitions can also get us a lot more inward focus. And one of the things that was really helpful, um, besides this church and people land loving me, like different people loving me through that time, but was was deciding that, okay, I'm working, I got a job with property management, and deciding that that was going to be my Bible talk every week. I'm just the only Christian in the Bible talk. I'm going to Bible talk every single day. And yes, I need to help people lease apartments, but this is my Bible talk. And, and that perspective really helped me like just to continue to stay mission and focus and also know that I'm there, yes, to, to like play out a role of a job, but my passion and my heart is for people to know Jesus. And so every opportunity at break time, I'm going, I'm going to talk about Jesus or I'm going to talk about my relationship with my husband to my coworker who is dating and wanting to be engaged and talk about our purity and our relationship. Like I, I went in thinking about what am I going to talk to these people about? I had a coworker who was a lesbian. I knew immediately the minute she knew that I was a Christian, I knew it was going to be a wall. (laughs) 
because she's going to be like, this girl, She's gonna. she already has all these thoughts. So I made an intentional move. Every time we didn't have somebody to go sit at her desk and say, how's your day? What's going on? You know, and just engage with her. And we, like a month into her working there, she sat down. She's like, I have never met a Christian like you before yeah. who genuinely cares about me. I get condemning scriptures every single morning from my aunt saying that you're going to hell and I don't even know what to do with that and and I was like well I I can try to help you know where to start (laughs) you know Um, and I was like let me just tell you about what I've found in my walk with God and we and she ended up coming to our Bible talk and and I believe it. she didn't become a Christian yet, but I believe what she experienced was something that she had never experienced before. And so, and that is what we're here to be, the light of the world. And so I think as we're sharing our faith, it's not just about, okay, I need to go share my faith. I am my faith. And so wherever I go, that's what I'm going to do. And that takes off the pressure and it, you get to just bring hope to the world (laughs) it's that simple and god will do the rest god will like tee it up for you but that's just one thing so for you guys who are working and sometimes your jobs can just drain you a lot i think maybe taking on that practical just that's going to be your bible talk every day you're just going to bible talk with five other visitors (laughs) so what would you do at your bible talk with five visitors you know Mm -hmm. and that can help you feel more purposeful in your job as well Yeah. Um, Ajax, is he in the house? Do we have room, uh, time for Q&A or no? Yes, go ahead. You okay. So, all right, so um, just, you know, if you guys have any questions about any of these principles or practicals, um, we'd love to, you know, take a stab at it. Yes, ma'am. Um, I found that at some point I was kind of in my six studies or something. Like, it was just like, I want to do this, I want to do this, and I became like really outwardly focused, and inviting people to church, picking them up, and things like that, and it was like really exhilarating, and I felt like God was using me, and then as you get deeper, and people start sharing things about their boyfriends, or their sin, some something, it just, I started to feel like I wanted them to convert right then and there or else, like if I didn't tell them the quote unquote truth or whatever, like I was using my own strength and I needed help with that and then I started to get really weary. And so how do you continue when you know God is using you but you feel so discouraged at the same time and you feel like what you're saying isn't getting through and how do you not use your own strength and how do you not get weary? Well, that's a great question. Um, does anybody have a magic formula for that? Um, you know, the New Testament talks quite a lot about that concept, you know, about persevering, about not growing weary, not growing tired, I think. Um, part of it, back on one of the slides, talked about having integrity, right? Matthew 5. I think some of it is us learning how to exercise healthy nose, how to say no to certain things, you know, even things that are good uh, for a greater purpose um, so that we don't experience this burnout. Um, I think a lot of it, especially in leadership, right, a lot of it is learning how to delegate, right. how to get other people involved, yes. how to share the load, right? Nehemiah is a great example of that. He was a man of vision. He'd been anointed by God and given this, uh, you know, inspiration to go do this work, but he enlisted far more people than himself to actually do that work. And so I think some of that can maybe play into it as well of just, hey, how can I get more people involved in this with me so that... I don't feel like I'm constantly bearing the load. Um, Those are some things that come to my mind. I don't know if you want to add to that. 
Yeah, I, I think um, from somebody who understands like taking on way too much than I probably can handle, <laughs> um, I, think, I think when, um, I think the delegating point is key, but I think it's also just making sure that you don't become the center of the wheel and like that's when actually Lynn has helped me a lot with that like it's not if you're taking on the brunt of it then you're probably not helping them the best that you can mm -hmm. like you involving more people in your small group like whenever you meet somebody if you have this sister who started praying play she can every single person she talks to pretty much comes to church with her like she is she just people just come with her they just they love her they come with her everything but she can't, she can't help every single person that comes with her, you know, and thoroughly help them. So I think learning to utilize the relationships in your life as you're studying the Bible with these people and help them get connected to other people as well. So you're not carrying that whole load yourself. And then that, because you're already creating an unhealthy dynamic if they're constantly coming to you and trying to help you deal with it because you're putting a Band-Aid on cancer. Ultimately, only God can handle that and God can heal that. But you're also, you just can't do it all. You can't do all that, and it'll, it'll rob your joy. So I would say start with the family group you're in, and when you're studying the Bible with someone, I think talk to the women you're in your group and say, hey, can you please not just, we had to talk about this, don't just go and say hi <laughs> to the person. Say, hey, can we grab coffee this week? Like, can I get your number and let's go do something? Like, don't just meet them, because we'll say, come meet my visitor, and people go and meet them. And then walk away, walk yeah, away. Right, and it was right, like right. that that meat was that wasn't really that helpful, you know. Yeah. Um, so can you not just meet them, but can you get their number and then set up coffee with them, you know, or or have them over your house, you know? And so really taking a team effort and and yeah. starting to buy with people, I think that might help the load. Lynn might have some advice too, because she she's dealt with me with it all. Um, I will say it, it takes a lot of trust too and faith in God, you know, that we're not going to be the ones that manage it all. I, we were just on, on vacation visiting family last week, and my phone blew up about five different times um, about, I think, one situation. Not five times the whole time. It was many, many more than that. But I knew that there was something going on. I didn't know what it was, but I just had to pray. God, it's going to get figured out. I struggled, though, man. I was like, I'm, I'm going to call the Okay. Yeah. And the next day, oh, I got a call. I got back and I was like, hey, bro, what happened? You know, and he's like, oh, that's yes, all taken care of now. <laughs> all right. Amen. Yeah. You know, amen. So, uh, but it's hard for us, you know, especially certain personality types. You know, I'm, I, I know control freaks when I see them. Because <laughs> I'm one of them. <laughs> what else? Any other questions? Yes, ma'am. Uh, I would like to know, uh, we were talking about ex 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 no. The walls, you, you, what do you do with walls? Inspecting walls, before building them. Uh, and uh, when do you know when it's the time to stop inspecting and, and, uh, and start to build? Mm -hmm. And also like there That's is a, a phrase that you repeat all the time, like people will never care how much you know until they know how much you care. But sometimes I, I feel that I can be like so into like, let me build friendship with you that I don't uh, I don't have a courage to address the things that I've seen already because I'm like no I need to still uh, like make sure that this person know that I love before I start being like yeah. straightforward that's a really really great question did everybody pretty much hear that yeah. Yeah. Um, thank you for, for asking that I'll, I'll you know take a stab at it I think 
There's a few levels, right, in terms of how I respond depending on um, what degree of numbers of people you're talking about that idea. Um, like, for instance, one of the things that we've done over the last several ministries that we've been a part of, when we come in fresh and we don't really know anyone, we really try to hold back the reins of, like, making concrete plans about what we're going to do and how it's going to look and sort of the structure until we've gotten with every single person that we're leading at least once. Um, the reason for that is we want people to feel like we care and we want to get some some boots on the ground information of like, hey, who are you? Where are you at? Where's this group been at? How are you feeling about it? You know, um, now obviously, you know, there's a limit to that, you know, um, and, and, you know, we're supported to, to do things like that. So that's not realistic for, for most people that are um, not working full time in the ministry. But if you're just talking about even an individual relationship, I think a great way is just ask, perhaps. Just ask them, like, hey, do you feel loved by me enough for me to speak the truth about what I see? You know, how would you feel about that? Is that are we at, are we at a place in our dynamic that you're comfortable with that? If not, that's okay. I just I, I just want to get where you're at. I just want to know because I don't want to offend you or you know whatever jeopardize this relationship unnecessarily. Now, conversely to that, right, the other side of the coin is what you just said. It is also perhaps a courage issue. Sometimes it's, okay, is it that I really don't know, or is it that I'm just afraid? Right. And, and sometimes that's hard to discern, right? Sometimes we, it's hard for us to, to, to know ourselves and, and figure that out. But um, those are some thoughts that I would have. If it's on a small scale, I think you could just ask directly. I think on a group scale or a family group or maybe multiple groups or a whole ministry, I think for me, I, I want at least everybody to have sat down, you know, especially the brothers, all the men have sat down with me and had a cup of coffee for me to get a chance to share a little bit about my story, my conversion, me to hear theirs, you know, um, before I'm the guy up at the front saying, hey, we're going to build the wall and charge the hill. And they're like, who the heck are you? You know, yeah. and they're kind of like reluctantly following me or maybe like with an attitude. I've learned that it's going to come out eventually. And I'd be wiser to like try to work on that on the front end than like, you know, get halfway up the hill and realize, you know, half the troops are just watching me like, good luck. I'm getting slain up there, you know. So, um, so anyways, those, those are some thoughts. I don't know if you have to share, but does that, does that help? Yes, thank you. Yeah, amen. Any other yeah. questions? We're done. Thank you guys so much. <laughs>